From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents the 2021-2022 New York Nick Season Preview Podcast with Jordan Brickman on this Monday, October 18th, 2021, the day after Rory McIlroy gets his 20th PGA Tour win at the CJ Cup at Summit. He won his first PGA Tour event in 2010, 12 years ago, uh, 12 seasons ago. Uh, and in that time, since the 09-10 season, the Knicks have had a lot of lean years. That 2009-2010 squad, which was when Rory got his first win in May 2010, it featured Wilson Chandler and Tony Douglas and Chris Duhon and Gallinari and Al Harrington and David Lee and Eddie House and Jared Jeffries and Larry Hughes and Nate Robinson and Darko Milicic. It was not the greatest of Nick Rosters. They were 29 and 53. They finished third in the division, 11th in the conference. There have been many seasons where Nick fans have come in hopeful but unsure of what a new year would be. And it is only befitting that the call would drop as we are doing a preview podcast about the next season. It is only befitting. So, oops. This is, this is fantastic. Hey, I don't know what happened there. It just dropped. And I am still recording because it is befitting that when talking about the Knicks' ineptitude of the past, <laughs> the phone call would drop. The bottom line is that that Nick team was miserable. And a now 32-year-old, Rory McIlroy, came on the scene, burst on the scene, um, and took the PGA Tour by storm. Last year, a Nick team out of nowhere, led by Julius Randle, took the New York sports scene by storm. And on this podcast, 12 months ago, you, Jordan Brookman, were pessimistic about this squad, and then they finished fourth in the East. And it just shows that sometimes you can be right with your opening season predictions, and you can be very wrong. Rory is a superstar, number eight in the world. The Knicks were number four in the conference last year, and now we come to preview 2021-2022. Do I have you hyped? You got me hyped, and you mentioned Wilson Chandler, who was my four. Who was, he was Frank Nielakina before Frank Nielakina, uh, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's always a good, a good way to start a conversation. That's right. I don't have Frank on this rundown. Um, let's just... Uh, as as the CEO of of the Frank Frank uh, Frank Frank fan club, what's your hopes for him in Dallas? I just hope he carves out a role where he's getting minutes every night. I've been I've been checking the box score every preseason game. He, he like didn't play one game. He played twenty minutes the other night. Um, 
I'm curious to see if he's in the rotation. It doesn't seem like he is based off just looking at the box score. He didn't start. There was a game where they sat all the like the stars and team, and he didn't start. Um, so we'll we'll see. I just hope he can carve out a carve out a role there. So as we begin previewing the, this Nick team, Sands Frank, as you can see, Jordan has recovered as he's now hyped for the year. Um, preseason observations. I did not watch. I I, I, th- I think I watched a total of two minutes of preseason. Nick basketball. It was not a lot that I watched. And uh, that was in the first preseason game. Then, the other night, I'm getting push alerts all over the place that Julius Randle hits a buzzer beater to win the game. A, I have no idea why the starters were in that long in a final preseason game. But B, you're somebody who sat there and watched these games. What were your observations coming out of the preseason? Yeah, so so last year, you know, when we got on this call, I thought, you know, I'm pretty optimistic. I, I would say generally about my sports teams, I feel like you can either be optimistic or be sad all the time when you're for the Knicks and the Mets and, and now nowadays the Giants. Um, and I said, this is the year we're going to be bad. Like, I'm going to admit it. Like, we're going to be bad. bad. I'm not going to try to talk this into a positive year. Positive go- that didn't happen. Um, but what I did notice last preseason was the Knicks played really hard under tips. Uh, and and this is just the preseason I'm talking about at this point. And, and I was like, well, at least they're going to play hard this year. And maybe that'll have an impact. And obviously we saw what happened. They had a great season. And a lot of that was just kind of playing hard and being well-coached and organized. This year they're still playing really hard, but their offense is shooting a lot more threes at a, at a higher pace. Um, the, the, the biggest takeaway for me is that this team is deep and that their offense is legit. There is um, – they, 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 they would have broke the record for threes in a game. You know, they did in the preseason. They shot the most threes ever in a game for the Knicks. If they do that in the regular season, they'll, they'll break the record for attempts. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more threes. We're going to see a lot more dribble drive from positions that are not just Randall and RJ. Uh, Fournier can take people off the dribble. Obviously, Kemba can. Um, so, so the team is just really deep. OB and IQ, who we'll get to, I'm, I think they look strong. and look like they got, they're taking a step. There's depth, there's room for, for error on this team. The offense, I think, is going to take a major step this year. Um, and I, I think that showed through in the preseason. You know, uh, it's interesting what teams do in the preseason. Some people trot out their stars, some people don't trot out their stars. I think, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook played one game together for the Lakers in the preseason. Um Meanwhile, Steph Curry is putting up 41 points in the Warriors season finale. We have all different kind of, of, of agendas going on here when it comes to the preseason. And sometimes, and the Jets are seeing this with Zach Wilson, when you're playing vanilla versus vanilla, um, you can get weird things. And Zach Wilson looked way better in the preseason than he has in the regular season for the Jets. How much of taking all those threes do you think was a concerted effort offensively, which we'll see starting Wednesday night against Boston, and how much was what the defenses were giving them and and, and uh, just taking it from there? I think it was a it, probably a combination of both of those things, but it, it was it was a concerted effort. You know, when you replace Albert Dade with Kemba Walker, there's just <laughs> yes. going to be significant more, significantly more spacing on the floor. Um, going from Reggie Bullock to Evan Fournier, Fournier is just a more dynamic offensive player than, than Bullock. He can do more things with the ball in his hands. That changes the way players 
teams will guard those two players, and there's going to be a cascading effect across the rest of the team. So um, Derek Rose in one of the one of the early interviews uh, training camp mentioned that they want to get. Uh, I think they shot 33 the game last year, and he wants to get. They want to get that number up to like 35 to 37. Those having metrics like that and having a player mention that in an interview shows to me that they've spoken about it and they're making an, an attempt to get to that level. Um, they shot a very good percentage from three last year, but they just were amongst the lowest uh, amount of attempts in the league from from three for, for different teams. So yeah, you should still shoot that high volume. You got to start to shoot high volume at that high percentage. You're going to see more spacing for guys like Randall, RJ, and D. Rose that want to attack attack the rim. So um, I think it's definitely a concerted effort. The coaching staff seems to um, be, be really hyping on this and wanting the team to, to shoot more threes and get out in transition, and they have guys that can do it. You know, they kind of I feel like every team talks about this in the preseason. We want to play at a fast pace. We want to run, uh, control the tempo. Um but it, 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 seemed, it seems like the Knicks would talk about it all, all the time and they would do it in the preseason or for a few games and they would stop. They have the personnel now to do it, so I'm looking forward to seeing them. Hopefully carry that through the rest of the season. It is going to be fascinating how this uh, Nick roster comes together come real game speed for the regular season and how these pieces come together and if they can keep up with wanting to do what they talked about. Part of that is Julius Randle who got into all kinds of problems in the playoffs against Atlanta and just did not look like regular season Julius Randle. Um, A, do you think 2020-2021 was an anomaly or is this the real Julius Randle? And then B, let's put aside the game winner the other night. Did you see in the preseason enough for you to know that that whatever demons may have crept in from the from that series against uh, the Hawks in the playoffs has you know been put way aside by now. So so as far as Julius Randle goes, I, I I think that he the step that he took last year was real. Um, I, I think what we learned about him in the postseason, obviously he was uh, he was the abject failure in the postseason. Seemed like he didn't know what to do. He was passing the ball to the sideline sometimes. Um, just kind of seemed like he was pulling his head. I think what we learned there is that Julius Randle is not a number one on a elite level team. Hmm. That's totally fine. That doesn't mean he's not deserving his max contract, which I think was a great deal, especially at the price they got him at at the time they did it. That doesn't mean he's not a guy to build around. To me, he's Chris Bosh on the Heat. He's the, he should be. He's the, probably the third best player on an elite level team, and that's a guy that's worth grooming and continuing to grow and, and build a roster around and, and help help continue to, to improve his team and to, to get behind. So um, I think he's not a number one. I think the team this year is going to allow him to be less uh, that need to be less reliant on him on a night to night basis. You know, I was watching some of those games, and there are stretches where he is not touching the ball for a few possessions in a row. And that would never happen last year. Last year, he's bringing the ball up, I don't know the percentage, but uh, probably more than 50% of the time, it seemed like the offense is running through him. Now he's kind of just a part of the offense, and he's obviously very a very effective scorer, so when he gets the ball, he can still score at a high rate. I think this year we're going to see him kind of picking his picking his spots a little bit more. Uh, you saw in game, third preseason game, when he hit four straight threes. He kind of found his, 
he found his moment to take over, and then he did. Uh, at the end of the game, like in game four, they gave him the ball. They trusted the ball in his hands to hit the game-winning shot, which obviously he did. They had a mis- mismatch there. Daniel Gafford cannot guard Randall in space. Gafford got that. Randall got to his spot and hit the game-winner. So I think he's, he's just kind of be more of a guy on the offense this year, but he still will be the guy. Guys like Kemba and Fournier are, are great ball handlers and distributors that are going to be playing there, as well as shooters, obviously, that are going to be playing with him. If, if RJ takes a step, you got four guys in that starting lineup that can do things with the ball, then, R- then Randall's going to have to do everything that like, he had to do last year. He was the entire offense last year. He was the entire engine and motor for the team, and every so often D-Rose or, or RJ or sometimes Burks or IQ would, would step up and, and have some, some moments, but he was the entire offense. This year, I think his numbers are still going to be pretty impressive. He'll score over 20 points a game, eight rebounds, maybe a little less than this, four or five assists maybe per game. I think we should see a three-point shooting drop down maybe to 38%, 37%. I think it's probably where he'll settle in at. I don't think he's over a 40% three-point shooter, but he's going to be off the ball a little more. You know, there was an opportunity in game four where he had a game four of the preseason where he had a, a catch-and-shoot three. I don't remember him having any of those last year, very little yeah. of them. So he's, he's going to have those opportunities this, this year um, to just kind of be a part of the offense, and that should make things easier for him. I, I look The thing I look for for him is his, overall field goal percentage and percentage from from two-pointer to go up. I think that's where he's gonna, we're going to see an improvement for him from this year. I think his three-point percentage will drop just because it was so high. But as long as he's at 37 38% above average, you've got to help a player there. And he's you know, he's going to play hard every night. He's, gonna still, he's, a, he's a pretty darn good defender, all things considered. He, he doesn't protect the rim, but he moves very well laterally. He's a mismatch for most teams down low. So I think the step is real. I think we learned he's not LeBron James. You know, there's only a couple of number ones in the NBA. Uh, you can count them on, on one, maybe one and a half hands. Um, he's not one of those guys, but he's he was an all-NBA player last year, and he was pretty deserving of it. I don't know if I would have him on my second team, but he was deserving of being in that elite company. So um, I think we're going to see it even easier for him this year. Uh, yeah, and and could have easily won most improved player. Um, he was, he was okay. that good. Um, he did win most improved player. Yeah, I mean, uh, who did win it? Was it Lonzo? Oh, it, was, it was Randall. Oh, that's right. He did. Sorry. I was thinking about another category. Whoops. <laughs> My bad. Not MVP. He didn't win MVP. <laughs> yes. Um, he was probably team. I, I have to imagine he was voted team MVP. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he was. Yeah. By the way, Randall, Randall and RJ just... This week off preseason and them for a second. They are currently leading the NBA in preseason minutes. Uh, one and number one and two, Randall and RJ. So Interesting. I am curious to see how that progresses as the year goes on, um, how their minutes. Tips places guys a lot of minutes. That's his thing. The team is deep this year, though, so um, they should be playing less minutes. You would, you would hope that he can really. You know, last year he would play OB for, and we'll talk about him shortly, I know. Uh, he would play OB for three minutes, and he would pull him if he, if he was playing poorly. And this year, OB should have. 10, 15 minutes at least a night to spell Randall. So um, that's obviously something to keep an eye on when it comes to Randall. And I do think he, he looked very sharp and explosive to me in the preseason, and he didn't look that way in the postseason. I don't know if that was because it was in his head or the defenses or what, but I wonder how much his body did start to slow down. So yeah. I don't think the minutes come down a little bit. And, and by the way, I totally forgot. His, uh, his son gave him that most improved player award. So 
I, that's I, right. That's right. Yeah. So dumb. Uh, uh, sorry, duh. And totally my bad. Jordan Brickman with us here on Teeing It Up, previewing the Knicks. One of the themes of this podcast so far has been guys who can create their own shot, guys who can do different things when they have the ball late in the game at crunch time. Crunch time is when Kemba Walker first came on the national scene with all those UConn teams, especially at the Garden. Now he returns home with Evan Fournier, the two big offseason acquisitions from the Knicks, uh, uh, for the Knicks. And paper is one thing, and both these guys look fantastic on paper, and Kemba, just by showing up for the first game, was going to be an upgrade over Alfred Payton. But now that you've seen four games with these guys, do you think Kemba and Fournier are the missing pieces that the Knicks needed to make this starting lineup, and importantly, the end-of-game lineup, that much stronger? So... The answer to the question is yes. They're they're much they're much stronger. They're they are value, very valuable missing pieces. They are big improvements over what was was currently there. Uh, you know, I don't think this makes the Knicks an elite team in the NBA. They're not in the tier one of the Eastern Conference. They're not going to, in my opinion, they're not at least at this stage. I don't feel they're going to compete with the Nets or the Bucks or the Sixers. And they probably I don't even think they could compete with the Hawks still at, at this level or potentially even the Heat. Um, but. That doesn't mean that this is not a significant improvement on the talent and the potential of the roster. Um, when I watch Kemba play, to, to your point, just like stepping on the court, he's obviously a, a different threat than a guy like Alfred Payton. I think two main things to watch with Kemba that are somewhat concerning from the preseason, obviously very limited, a lot, a lot of could still happen come, come regular season time once the, the lights are really on. He wasn't going to the paint a lot. Um, a lot of his shots are on the perimeter nowadays. He's not really getting into the restricted area too, too much. Um, and I wonder how much of that is just him not wanting to push it in the preseason, if that's just how the offense is being designed, if that kind of just doesn't have the quickness anymore to get into that, that part of the, of the, of the court. Um, but that's something that, that I know. He might be an entirely perimeter player at, at this point, which might not be the end of the world. Albert Payton was the opposite of that. Just having him having a, a shot chart that's on the perimeter should still add value to the team from, from an offensive standpoint and spacing standpoint. He also, I, I noticed, especially in the first preseason game, he was making a concerted effort to be a playmaker. Um, and again, the Knicks last year didn't really have a guy that was just out there to, to be a playmaker. You know, Randall at times would do it. Obviously, Giros has the ability to do it. But both those guys are score-first players. Kemba is historically a score-first player, but I do wonder if he starts to transition more into kind of a playmaker, get his teammates involved, because he has talented teammates around him. He can still make a big impact on the court by, by being a playmaker. Another thing with Kemba is defense. Obviously, we know he's never been a great defensive player, but he got torched by Raul Neto in the last preseason game. That's kind of concerning, especially when you start thinking about what that can look like in the postseason when he's guarding a guy like Trey Young or Drew Holiday or if Kyrie comes back or whoever it might be, you know, how, how is Tibbs going to be able to hide him um, on, on the court? So that, that's two things that are going to be concerning with Kemba. And at one point, does Derrick Rose just kind of take over for him at the end of the game? And it seems like that could potentially happen. Excuse me. Um, already with Derrick Rose closing out the, 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 the preseason games and now and, and Tibbs trusting Giro. So that's going to be very interesting to see how that happens. As far as Fournier goes, um, I love what I'm seeing with Fournier. I feel like every shot he takes is a good shot. 
it's never he's never out of control. Um, you know, the guy has great form. Every shot looks like it's going in. Uh, he doesn't seem like he makes a lot of mistakes out there. I think I'm going to love having Fournier out there, uh, especially. Like, I like Burks, but Burks can he gets hot, obviously, but he can also get real cold. I, I think Fournier is going to be a nice steady hand for them. Everyone talks about his defense, too, and how it'll be a drop-off from Bullock. Of course it will be. But he competes on the defensive end. He, he's a smart defender. Uh, I, I think that the, the drop-off, obviously, from Bullock, who was great last year, will be noticeable. But I think he's a little underrated on that end, at least from what I've seen so far. But, you know, the Knicks were one or two in defense last year and, like, 26th in offense. If the Knicks can get to maybe top, top 10 in offense and drop down to top 10 in, in defense, you're looking at a, a pretty, pretty damn good team. That you are. Jordan Brickman with us here on Teeing It Up. Um, you know, it's interesting when we think about this next section, you, you could term it the hashtag run it back section because all these three questions are related. And this involves the rookies, the second unit, and Mr. Quickly and Mr. Toppin. Um, so let's start here with OB and IQ. Um, you know, these are the two guys. They went to summer league. They trained a lot over the summer together. Um, they really seem to be close as friends and have great chemistry. And that was one of the hallmarks of last year's team, which was tremendous chemistry. If you're hearing noise, that's the wind. It's very windy out here today, and I'm not outside, so the fact that it may be coming through just shows how windy it is. Um, hopefully these are winds of positive change for the Knicks. Um, and when you look at guys, you think about sophomore slump versus progressing in the second year. And one of the things that you talked about starting out was the depth of this team. And these guys could be fighting for minutes. Um, yet, they're also a very integral part of a second unit that was one of the best second units in the NBA until Alfred Payton had his problems and then they had to move D. Rose and everything shifted around. So... As you look at OB and IQ specifically, what did you see in the preseason and what do they need to do in the regular season to get these crucial minutes for the Knicks? So we'll start with OB. Um, I think OB has clearly taken a step this year. Now, the step that he's coming from, he, he was borderline not an NBA player for the first 65% of the season last year, he looked like he didn't belong on, on the court. Now, he didn't have he didn't have summer league, you know, it's a weird year, COVID year, you know, give benefit of the doubt. By all accounts, both these guys worked really hard, and he made an impact in the playoffs. He was one of the few players in the Knicks that kind of rose to the occasion in the postseason against the Hawks, so um, that was great. I, I thought in summer league, he, he, he still has his moments where it's like, what the hell is this guy doing, where he's... He tries to post up a player that's smaller than him, and he can't do it. And he kind of like he doesn't have a lot of arc on his shots in the post, and kind of throws them against the the backboard sometimes. And they do go in, but sometimes they look terrible. Um, but in general, he had a play in the first preseason game where he had a rebound, and he went coast to coast and finished it. And I don't think he did that at all last year. And he did it in a way where his handle looked kind of tight. Last year's handle looked really sloppy. Um, he just looks like he's confident and understands what's in front of him and how to be an NBA player now. I think we're going to see OB provide a lot of value to the team. And, again, it's just preseason, but and against a team that's not very good, but in game four of the preseason against the Wizards, Randall and OB closed for the final six minutes or so of that game. I really want to see more of that. Um, you know, we'll talk about Mitch and, and Nerlens and, and Taj and Jericho Sims. 
these guys are all very limited offensively. When you think about the spacing and even the, some of the switchability to some extent with OB, Randall, RJ, and if it's Evan and, and Kemba, let's say, as, as the closing lineup or D Rose, whoever it might be, that's a tough lineup to guard, especially if OB can get to. I'm, I'm looking for him to get to league averages here from three, maybe even maybe at 36% if he can get, get that high from three, and I think he can do it if he doesn't try to shoot these moon balls where it looks like it's going over the backboard. Um, but he, he just looks more confident. So I'm really hoping to see him and Randall play more out there together and also to spell Randall a little bit more. You know, Randall led the league in minutes last year. I'd like to see that come down by three to four minutes, if, if not more, per game. You know, maybe Randall takes nights off as, as needed as the season goes on. Obi, I think, is going to get more minutes and become a more integral part of the team as the season goes on because he's going he's gonna to force their hand uh, by the way he's playing. So I'm excited about what Obi's done. And, and the big thing for him also is to not only hit the threes, like I mentioned, but also to play defense. And I was really down on his defense uh, coming, into the, coming into his rookie season and the first half of the year when he looked lost out there. I was down on his defense, but he's come, come a bit. I, I come a long way, I think, with, with, with his defense. He, he tries really hard. He had three blocks in the last game. You know, if he can... He can be a little switchable there and can, can, can disrupt some shots. There's, there's a nice player there coming off the bench for the Knicks. As for IQ, I'm, I'm a little nervous about what's going to happen with IQ this year. We've talked about before that I, I don't think of IQ as a starter uh, on an elite-level team. He, to me, is like a Lou Williams type of guy. I uh, kind of come in and be, be a microwave, get, get hot quick for you. But, um, they, you know, they tried the, the, the point guard thing in the summer league, which I think is a good – thing for him to experience, especially in these meaningless games at Summer League, I just don't think he's a point guard. Um, and I think he's a little bit in his head right now with, am I a point guard? Am I a shooting guard? Like, what do I do out there? Uh, you know, kind of a square peg into a round hole type of thing. I'm a little nervous about him. The, you know, the he, he, last year he did such a great job drawing those fouls. A lot of them on those uh, fouls were the player, the offensive players kind of jumping into the defender, which is no, no longer legal. Um He's got to adjust his game. He, he was not a good finisher. That floater that he started the season off so hot with was, turned out to be a negative shot for for, for the season. I'm, I'm worried. I'm a little worried about him. The, the shooting is very real from three, uh, but I think I think he, he might struggle to find a role this year because now you got another mouth to feed in Kemba. You know, Elford is only playing like 20 minutes tonight and and not taking a lot of shots. Kemba's going to take a lot of shots. Fournier's going to take more shots than Bullock. Uh, you still got Burks there shooting a lot of shots. Obi's going to shoot more shots this year. Where does IQ fit in for all this, especially if he doesn't have the ball in his hands because D-Rose or Kemba should? So I'm a little nervous about, about IQ. By all accounts, the guy works tremendously hard, so I'm sure he'll, he'll find his role and will always use his shooting. But at what point does a guy like Quinn Grimes take his spot on the roster? Because Quinn Grimes can also shoot, and he plays D, and IQ just doesn't. So... It'll be interesting to see how, how his role develops throughout the year, but I'm a little nervous about where IQ fits in. Same, because, you know, when you are a one- or two-dimensional offensive player, teams can start playing defense against that, and that's what happened with IQ when that floater went away in the second part of the year. Um, and I think why he was so effective in the first part of the year is teams were not expecting it, and then suddenly teams start expecting it, and that's when you're running in, into trouble. Which brings us to hashtag run it back, which is all these players in the second unit from Nerlens to Taj to Burks to Rose to um, to IQ to Obi, um, 
I think that's everybody. The occasional uh, Kevin Knox appearance for for five seconds um, are back. It's a lot of people to try to get into this rotation and a lot of people to fit in. And now you add in Miles McBride and you add in Quentin Grimes. This is a whole lot of bodies, which is great news for, as you said, Julius Randle, who played all those minutes. And I, I do wonder if part of the postseason issues was him getting tired towards the end of the year. Um, this is a lot of bodies trying to fit in. And I'm not quite sure how this second unit is going to go uh, work out, and I think we'll get there at some point. Um, but it was a very tight rotation by the end. And I think that, you know, Tibbs has got to be open to keeping it open, or else you could be really limiting yourself with all these different pieces to figure out what that best rotation is. How do you view Run It Back and at the same time integrating uh, Grimes and McBride? So I think that Grimes and McBride are out of the rotation to start the year. Um, I mean, McBride wasn't even in the, the preseason rotation. Grimes was a little bit. Um, but I don't think those guys are in the rotation to start the season. Maybe they use Grimes kind of like Frank at the, like at the end there where he comes in for possession or two and just to get his feet wet for you know a few minutes a game here and there. Um, but I just assume, I just, I'm kind of assuming those guys are not in the rotation to start. Injuries, days off, things like that will come up. They'll get their chance. If they play well, then maybe they'll earn more. It does seem like Grimes is above McBride um, in Tibbs' eyes to this point, just based off how preseason went. And the fact that Grimes also closed the game out the last game and, and played very well, made an impact defensively and offensively. So I think they're out of the they're out of the rotation. Uh, I, I, New Orleans is going to miss the first game. It sounds like, let's, for sake of discussion, let's assume he's he's in. Um, I think it'll be Mitch in the starting lineup and New Orleans in the, at the center there, just like they did last year. Um, and then I, th- I think it's going to be very similar in general to, to, to how they did it last year. Obi is the backup four. Um, Burks is the backup backup three. Um, and then IQ and, and D Rose are the backups at the two and the one. I think it's going to be the same type of lineup. I think the difference is going to be um, how how the minutes are are staggered. Um, does D Rose close some of these games? Uh, I, I kind of get the sense that that might happen, especially in the beginning, just because. Tips is still learning Kemba and obviously trust Rose. And then does Taz still get minutes once Nerlens and Mitch are healthy? I feel like he won't. Um, Taj does add a little extra offensive potential than those guys because he can hit a 10-footer. Um, but I think it's going to be a very similar secondary unit this year. I mean, it was great last year. Rose was able to kind of ha- control that unit and the other guys, there's some creators on there. There's not a lot of defense in that second unit though, other than Nerlens which is why I think Grimes might sneak his way in some of those IQ minutes. Um, but I think it's, the start of the season is going to be very, very similar to, to last year. And it was like you said, it was a great unit. Once they moved Eric Gross from that unit, it, it wasn't as great. Um, but, but having a guy like D. Rose running the floor, running the team, rather, on, on the second unit is a huge advantage. Not a lot of teams have a second uh, second point guard like, like him uh, on their second unit. So I think it's going to look very similar. Maybe a little more minutes for some of those guys, but I think it's going to look pretty similar. Yeah, uh, you know, it was a, it was it was a kind of career um, uh, uh, resurrection of sorts for um, Rose last year, and it was huge for the Knicks. A huge burst of energy. Um, Jordan Brickman with us here on teeing it up to uh, preview the twenty twenty one twenty twenty two Knicks. Mitch, you and I had a whole discussion that that. So surprised me after he made his comments about finding the weight room. I thought it was good so that he could absorb contact better. 
you did not have a similar opinion. So, A, how did he look in that final preseason game? And, B, tell the folks out there the discussion you and I had because it was really illuminating when it came to Mitchell Robinson and what he needs to do physically to thrive. Yeah, so uh, as far as the, how he looked in the preseason game, I mean, I thought he looked okay. Um, the size did seem to help him on a couple of plays. Um, I thought he looked a little like noticeably slow and noticeably less vertical. But, you know, the guys that played a game in, in months, he's clearly not in very good shape right now. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that that's I'll, I'll give him some excuses for now. We'll see how he looks as the season goes on there, but something to keep an eye on. Um, as far as the weight and my concern with the weight, big men uh, and feet don't go well together when they start to get hurt. I think back like Andrew Bynum um, had, had a lot of feet injuries. Uh, there's a lot of big men that, that once they start to hurt in the foot, it starts to kind of keeps lingering around. And Mitch has now added 60 pounds as he was drafted, and apparently he added 40 pounds this offseason. It's just a lot more weight to be putting on his foot and on those bones. And, and you know, the fact that he was still in a boot until very recently and they kind of brought him along very slowly, they, I think the Knicks are aware that, the, that that's the type of injury that can linger even if he didn't add the weight. The additional weight, is just, it, just nerve, it just makes me nervous that it's just going to keep happening with him. It's also, you know, centers especially ones without offensive games, are kind of unplayable come postseason time unless they can switch very well. And Mitch, so from what we've seen, can do that fairly well, but not if he's a little bit slower. As soon as you take a little bit of that, that, that foot speed away, um, potentially a lot of the foot speed away with another 40 pounds, it makes him even harder to play come postseason time. You know, I know there's a lot of hype around the Trey Young video that, that went around Twitter during the offseason here about how Mitch guarded him this year and how Mitch could have been effective in the playoffs, but he needs foot speed for that. And if he has an injured foot that maybe doesn't have as much confidence in and he's got another 40 to 50 pounds on his frame, he's not going to be as fleet of foot and he's, I think he's going to be a little more injury prone. It just seems to me like he doesn't work on the things that he's supposed to be doing in the offseason. Like two years ago, the guy's shooting threes. Meanwhile, his free throw percentage is under 50%. Meanwhile, he doesn't have a single hook shot or any post move at all to to, to Punish, punish switches on, the, on smaller players on him. All he can do is dunk and set some poor screens. Good offensive rebounder. Obviously blocks a lot of shots. Obviously is a vertical vertical lob threat, but I would love to see him have a baby hook shot in the post like Rudy Gobert has or hit a 10-footer like even Nerlens can do, kind of. Uh, and hit, a, hit some free throws at a 65-70% rate like he was doing when he was a rookie. And those numbers have all dropped. He's got that hitch in his shot. It just seems like he doesn't do the things that he should be doing um, in, in the offseason. So I'm nervous about him uh, and how he looks this year and if he stays healthy or, or what happens. But um, that, that's some of my concerns with Mitch. He's, he's an important player for the team, but I also could see OP being in the closing lineup for, for some of these games as the season progresses. Yeah, and, and I think you could see some very odd rotations early in the season as they try to figure out where Mitch is and, and how much rest time he needs coming off the injury and also figuring out strengths and weaknesses and, and, and cohesiveness with this team. Um, yep. let's, let's pull back for a second just talk about the NBA as a whole. Um, a, there's a bunch of guys. James Harden, Trey are obviously the, the, the two names on this new rule that... Um, that 
you know, are not being named after somebody, but it's clearly them who are the two biggest guys for the lean in and draw the foul on, on purpose type deal. So A, do you think it'll be adjudicated correctly and have an impact? And then B, just on an NBA as a whole level, what or who are you watching for? Because for me, it's Clay Thompson. And I, and I think that if Clay comes back and looks anything like normal Clay, the Warriors are, you know, suddenly become a huge factor in a Western Conference that has gotten so much stronger, especially at the top, and is leaving the Warriors needing that piece. If it's Clay and anywhere close to normal Clay, it's a big deal, especially if it's Space Jam Two Clay and he's dominant. Um, but he's unlikely to be Space Jam Two Clay. So, a, how do you see that rule working out? And b, your NBA thoughts as a whole. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing with the rule, and the, the NBA has passed a lot of rules in the past that are, we want, we want to get rid of this from the game, and we're going to pass this rule to stop it from happening. And you see it in the preseason, the beginning of the NBA season, then it kind of, as the season goes on, they just kind of stop calling that new rule anymore. I think this one is so obvious. Same. You know, it's very obvious when, when someone does something like this that I think it does have staying power. Um they're clearly calling it in the in the preseason. And I think what you're going to see is that players are just going to stop attempting it after a certain point. Like, I think about flopping and how flopping was like they, they're like they were going to find all these players. There's like a whole thing for that one year, a couple years ago, and now there's still a lot of flopping in the NBA. Um, they didn't get rid of it. I think this is just so blatantly obvious when it happens that it, it should help limit it. And, it, and it's, a, it's a good thing to, to, to get rid of in the NBA. Cause it, I think Steve Ash was the first one to come out against it a couple years ago when he played uh, – or, or was it last year? Maybe when they played Trey Young, um, he's like, "That's not basketball." So, I think I think this does have some staying power, and I think I think it's an overall good thing. Um, for observations for the NBA, generally talking like injured players coming back, or, or just just thoughts in the league in general. Just anything. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. The Warriors, you know, are interesting. I don't think Clay's back the first half of the year. It sounds like so, which is unfortunate because I was hoping he would be back earlier. I always think the Warriors are a threat. I just think Steph's amazing. Um, I mean, Steph, by the way, also is someone that does do the up-and-under foul that they're getting rid of right now, um, but he doesn't obviously need that to, to score. Um, but I, I just think Steph can carry an entire offense. They, 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 are, uh, they have the two rookies, um, Kuminga and, and Moody, who seem a little raw that are beginning minutes, and Wiseman was kind of a disaster last year. So... We'll see. There, I can't. I can't imagine Clay is going to be the defender he is, especially not right away. So I don't know if they're they're going to get to that level. But I, I love watching that team play, especially when Clay is out there. Um, obviously, the Lakers. I got to be really interesting with Westbrook and AD and LeBron out there, and then you know they got five Hall of Famers on that team with Rondo and and, and Melo too, and then a bunch of guys that can either shoot or play D. They know a lot of guys that can do both of those things. So we'll, I'm curious how that team goes. At the end of the day, they have so much talent um, that they're that's probably going to win out, uh, at least in the Western Conference. So that, that's going to be interesting. How does how does Bucks and Giannis look um, coming off the, the championship? It seemed like Giannis found a second gear um, in the finals. That kind of he kind of unlocked another part of his game and just like I'm getting to the rim, you're not stopping me. Screw you. Uh, I'm curious how how he does this year. I think they're going to win 60 games. The Bucks. Um, how do the Hawks look after after their incredible postseason run? I think Trey Young showed that he's the guy that loves the big stage and I probably took another step in the postseason there, understanding you know what it takes to win the playoffs. That did the whole team. They have a lot of young guys and Thunder Hunter and Cam Reddish. Um, John Collins is back. I really like uh, Sharif Cooper. I think he's an interesting backup for for Trey Young. 
So I, I think they're gonna, they're an interesting team team to watch. You know, Nuggets. Unfortunately, Jamal Murray being out. Um, you know, he he comes back. How do they look without him? And can they can they stay afloat long enough and at the top of the West for him to come back and hopefully get healthy for the for the playoffs? Um, Kawhi Leonard. Who knows what the deal is with him when he's back with the Clippers? They're all obviously a contender if they have him and and Paul George. Um, so there's, there's a lot. It's an interesting season, you know. Obviously, I haven't mentioned the anti-vax uh, Kyrie or the non-anti-vax anti-vax uh, Kyrie Irving and, and the Nets. Uh, I think they are they are kind of head and shoulders above the rest of the league, even without Kyrie. Um, so so that's gonna be interesting to see how how they are. You know, Kevin Durant basically beat the Bucks last year uh, by himself with I don't know, one inch over the line. Uh, where he was shoe sizes one half size too big for himself, and yep. that cost them. Um, but uh, you know that was by himself with a James Harden who couldn't do anything. Imagine just James Harden healthy, and they got a little more depth now. To me, they're 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 the best team in the NBA. Unfortunately for for us Knicks fans that, that hate the Nets, um, so so they'll obviously be interesting to see how do they how do they load manage KD if they do. He just had an Olympics. Um, he's played all. He's got the Achilles that at some point that's going to keep. You know that type of injury that maybe maybe doesn't impact him from his his skill level, but it should impact his durability level as his career goes on. So. It'll be interesting to see how they manage that. Um, the Heat and Kyle Lowry are, are an interesting fit. Tyler Hero's had a great preseason. Seems like he's starting. He, he realized he didn't really take things too seriously last year, and has kind of re, refocused himself. If he's a, if he's a force, and you have three All Stars and Lowry and Butler and and Bam, that's a hell of a team with probably the best coach in the NBA, Bolstra behind them. You know, the East, the, the top half of the East is very competitive with the Bucks, the the Nets, the Heat. The Hawks are in that conversation, in my opinion, and I haven't even mentioned the Sixers. Who who knows what's going on there? Ben Simmons does he get traded? Does he stay? You know that their their fit of Simmons and Embiid, I think, pretty clearly they they don't really work together. But um, does Simmons get traded? There's an interesting Pacers rumor for Levert and Brogdon, uh, and a first round pick for Simmons, which I think would be a good trade for both teams. So that that's a whole that's a whole other narrative. We'll see what happens there. I think this is going to be a frustrating year for the Sixers, though. With uh, with that hanging over their head the entire season, basically, unless they move move them quickly. Um, yeah, yeah it's in a great spot. Go, go ahead. You, you want to say something, Jeremy? Yeah, I, I I was just gonna say I can't. That team is the most fascinating team for me in the East because all the teams you just mentioned have continuity pieces coming back, and you look at the Knicks, who obviously have a have a, have a whole lot, or the pieces they've acquired fit in nicely. I do not see how Ben Simmons fits with the Sixers, and I understand him staying away. And I almost wish that, like he and the team, would agree to stay away in a sense, just because I think it would help figure out what the Sixers are. Like I love the fact that Sean Marks decided that Kyrie is not a half in half out player, because at least the Nets know for right now this is our team, and we have to do the best job we can as a team. Period. And. I think with the Sixers, when you have this looming over your head, you look at Zach Ertz, the tight end, who found out, according to Jay Glazer, before the game he was traded and given the option of do you want to play or not against the Bucks, And you wonder, is somebody half in, half out? Are they trying not to get injured? Are they trying to show off to get traded? Brings in a lot of question marks, and I'm not quite sure that Ben Simmons, with the Sixers and participating and playing in games with the Sixers, is the best deal for the Sixers, Simmons, or whoever eventually acquires him, because it's clear that he's not long for Philly. Yeah, I don't know what the best case scenario is for them with him playing. Like, uh, unless he shows off this renewed three-point stroke, which I would be surprised if he did. Um, yeah. 
I don't know what you're expecting to see, right? He, I don't know what that guy does in the offseason. I mean, he doesn't seem to have improved in any skill, skill since he's joined the NBA. Uh, obviously, he's an incredible defender, but as offensively, he hasn't shown any growth at all there from, from, from what I've seen. So I don't know what, he, what he's doing in, in, the, in his offseason. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a disaster for them. It, it, it's it's going to be over their heads. It's going to be mentioned all the time in the media until it's solved. And the way to solve it is to trade him. He handled it very poorly by all by all accounts, based off the reports I've seen with the team flying out to meet with him and him refusing to talk to them. And, um, you know, the holdout is just so silly, like it does never work. Um, it's, it, it, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, I'm happy to sit there in our division and we get to see the kind of up front and we, we play them in a week from uh, from Tuesday, I think. Um, so, so hopefully they don't have their stuff together by then. <laughs> They're still a great team, man. I I I, uh, I picked them to win the East last year. I thought that Embiid it would be too much for the Nets, and I thought that with Simmons and Thibel on the defensive end, that that's a lot of defense for to, to bring with Embiid, obviously as well, to bring to the Bucks to, to crowd the paint and stop Giannis and to get out on the perimeter. Um, I, I picked them to win the East. I picked them to win the East a few times. Obviously, that that's never worked out, but. Um, they have the talent. It's just Simmons and Embiid just don't make a lot of sense offensively. They're both trying to score from the same spot. And, and Embiid can shoot a little bit from three, but not at a high volume. And Simmons needs to be on a team with a center that can shoot a lot of threes. To me, the, the Timberwolves make a lot of sense with him, with him and Carl Anthony Towns. I think that's a, that's a great match. Um, and maybe they get him at the Angelo Russell package back to the, six, back to the Sixers. But, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're in a very interesting storyline throughout the season that them and obviously does Kyrie wind up get the vaccination or not um so so we'll see uh we'll, we'll see how that unfolds all right um and by the way the, the Knicks play the Sixers twice in a two-week span Tuesday the 26th and then Monday November 8th so if get them early yep if they are a mess early on could could be advantage Knicks we also play the Magic two games in a row uh in games two and three which is very helpful um, yeah. All right. To close out this Nick preview podcast with Jordan Brickman, it's prediction time. Your Nick prediction is. So I think they they win forty five games. Um, I think that they well, that's which gets them to six seed. The the thing is that that's less that's less wins than they were would have had last year in a eighty game season. So I think that they, on paper, from a record standpoint, will have taken a step back, but the team will be better. It's just that the there was a lot. A lot of teams got really unlucky last year. Like the Celtics had a lot of COVID issues. A lot of teams had a lot of COVID issues, a lot of injuries. And they kind of avoided all of those yeah. last year for the most part. Uh, I, I, how long is that going to? You know, they're going to have some issues. I'm sure with that this year. Fortunately, they had some depth. Um, I think they're going to be better, but they're just going to look like they take a step back from a record standpoint. I think they'll, they're going to win more games against the elite of the NBA this year than they did last year. But there's just more good teams. They're going to lose, they're going to lose some, more, some more games than they did. And I think come postseason time, they put up a better fight in the first round. Maybe go six uh, or even seven, depending on who they play against. But I don't think they make it out of the first round, unfortunately, um, this year. But I think it's a, it's a great season. I think that we're going to have a very fun season. I think we're going to see that Randall is absolutely legit. I, I, I'm curious how RJ looks after taking such a great step last year. His shot looks smoother to me than it did last year so far in the preseason. Three-point shooting looks very legit. Um, can he become 
19, 20-point-a-game score. Uh, I have my doubts about that, but that's going to be something to watch for them. Um, and we're going to see how Obi looks and how IQ looks. And these guys are all going to be potential trade play- players that are, can potentially be traded in the next 12 months uh, for a potential superstar. So it be very interesting to see how, how that all looks. So I think it's a step-forward year, a good year, a positive year. Um, but I'm not. I don't think that they're going to make it out of the first. I don't think there's much of a difference at the end of the season with the with the final result. I think they're more competent uh, and and more competitive than they were last year against the top top of the heap of the of the league. Um, and the people who uh, the uh, the uh, people, yeah, there's uh, twelve on each roster. Um, the uh, the team that does tear down the nets and is the NBA champion is. Well, I hate to say it. You just said it in your, in your question. It's I think it's the Nets. I think they're I think they're too good. I, I don't know how you can guard that team. Uh, and and when the lights were on and they had to get stopped, they played hard enough to, to get a stop uh, at the end of the game. I, I don't know who can who can who can take them out. If, if assuming that they're healthy, even without Kyrie, and if Kyrie's back, I think it's it's easy for them. I think with Kyrie, it's the Nets. I think without Kyrie, it's the Lakers. But it's Lakers Nets, no matter what. Yeah, and the thing with the Lakers is that I have them coming out of the West, too. And that's a little bit just because I don't know who's, if there's any other elite teams in the West. Yeah, I think there's I mean, a separation there. would yeah. be there, but with Murray out, like, you know, I don't think he's going to be 100% this year. He usually takes guys a full offseason post-ACL, so next year he'll be back to normal. The Mavs aren't there. The Jazz don't show up in the postseason. Kawhi, even if he shows up, is he going to be fully healthy? Um, and even if, they, even if he was, are they even good enough to beat them? I don't know if any of the Warriors, we talked about them. I don't know if any of these teams are, are good enough to beat the talent on the Lakers. Yeah, I don't think Phoenix can, can do it back to back seasons. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Phoenix is not, is not an NBA Finals team, in my opinion. They just got, they played really well when they needed to. They, you know, they got the job done, but to me, they're, they're, they're not the same tier as some of those other guys. And final question on this podcast for Jordan Brickman the best food inside Madison Square Garden is. All right, so I like the food at MSG is not it's not great. It's just like a lot of fried food and like not a ton of great stuff. But you gotta go with the chicken fingers and fries. It's just a classic. Um, they do have Polly G's there now, but it's not the same as the, the slice shop for pizza. But it's just not the same as the real place. So so I can't count them there. But tr- chicken and fri- uh, chicken fingers and fries, bunch of ketchup, can't lose. Yep, I'm with you on that. You cannot lose. It is the staple, and it works in almost every stadium and arena in this country uh, if you need a fallback option. Jordan Brickman, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. I can't wait for Wednesday night. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun, and this should be a fun ride this year. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. I'm looking forward to it. You got it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Subscribe, rate, review, five stars, all that good stuff. We will see you next time.